still have a lot of serendipity happen. And I see that actually in a lot of people who, you know, cultivate communities and other things that in a way we're, we're actually quite introverted. And so we try to figure out ways of, of, of making things happen. So I'm a big fan actually of these kind of small things, right? How do you take one different street to work in the morning and actually look into the different windows when you are on your way to work and to your point, get the next podcast idea from that book. And you're like, oh my, like we haven't talked since like hundreds of years about this and this question or, you know, these kind of small things where we just Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Christian Bush. Christian, thanks for doing this. Thanks. So you, you've got some interesting things on the resume here, author, university professor, all sorts of other things. G- give us some of the highlights of the, the life of Christian to this point. Yeah, absolutely. It really started, I think, you know, I was this kid in high school who was kicked out of, of, out of school and who had to repeat a year. You know, some might, might have considered me as I had a conversation recently with my parents about how, how grateful I am to them, how they endured this, this, this time. And yeah, I transferred this into my driving style and this kind of certain recklessness. And I probably helped the unofficial world records of how many uh, trash cans you can knock over on your way to, to school when you're driving. And, you know, one day I wasn't so lucky anymore and I smashed into four parked cars, all cars completely kaput, uh, all cars completely destroyed. And I won't forget the policeman who came to the scene and was like, oh, my, he's still alive. And, you know, this idea that I was supposed to be dead, that stuck with me. And it put me on this intense search for meaning. I started reading this wonderful book, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which uh, is all about the question of how do we find meaning in the toughest of circumstances? And what I realized is what I enjoy doing the most is connecting people, connecting ideas, seeing how that all fits together. And then that spark that comes from whenever these things come together unexpectedly. And so, you know, I started out as a community builder, entrepreneur, and then later went into research and academia. And what I found fascinating is, you know, in all these different areas, the most successful, inspiring people around me, they, they seem to have something in common, which was that they somehow cultivate serendipity. They somehow see something in the unexpected and turn that into positive outcomes. And so I got really excited about this. How do we how do we do this? Is there a way of how we can set ourselves up for serendipity, which has become my own personal life philosophy, my way of life, but also I've seen it in so many other people. And so a lot of my work is really about saying, hey, is there some kind of science-based framework for cultivating serendipity? Interesting. And you went to London School of Economics, is that right? Yes, I did. Yeah. What, what was your degree? What, what, what did you do your PhD in? The PhD was in management and, and entrepreneurship. Okay. And how long, how long ago from when you graduated before you started the book? That was probably around, I mean, I would say the book, you know, I've, I've always been storing away bits and pieces. So the book probably started a very long time ago, but I, 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 I started writing the book around three years ago, which I guess, you know, five, six years after, after the PhD. But, you know, I think it's, it's this interesting thing where when you see something happen in your own life, right? So when I was a community builder or entrepreneur, I would see serendipity happen a lot. So I got very excited already. So I would always store a lot of information already. And then later on when the book happens, unfortunately, a lot of that information was already there. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it seems to go along well with the idea of serendipity of collect, 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 and then all of a sudden see the dots put back together. So let's let's dive into the book a little bit more. To me, that's, you know, we have a lot of people asking to be on the show. And the reason I was like, yeah, I want to talk to that guy is just the name of the book. Like, it's intriguing to me to, to you know, take people who have 
intentionally use serendipity to their advantage. Can you give us a couple of the principles from the book? Yeah. I mean, the key premise is really to say, look, like when we talk about luck, we usually, you know, talk a lot about blind luck. So, you know, being born into a good family, all that kind of stuff that we can't really control. But serendipity is really about active, like skilled, like smart luck, right? Where we create our own uh, luck because we see something in the unexpected and, and do something with it. And so, you know, two quintessential examples. Imagine if you have erratic hand movements like I do and you spill coffee over someone in a coffee shop. And, and now, you know, you sense something in that situation, right? You sense there might be something there. You don't know what it is, but you have a couple of options now, right? Option number one is you just say, I'm so sorry. You walk outside and you think, ah, what could have happened had I spoken with that person? Option number two, you start the conversation. That person becomes the love of your life, your investor, your co-founder, you name it. The point here is that our reaction to that unexpected moment has such a big effect then of what we would consider later um, serendipity to be. And that's the same with up to 50% of innovations and inventions, right? Viagra, all these different things, they all came about because someone saw something in a moment and then connected the dots and, and did something with it. And so the book really is a lot about saying, hey, what is it about that that we can influence? How can we have more positive coincidences happen. So how do we seed more triggers for serendipity? But also how do we then, whenever something does happen, make the best out of it? And so, you know, in terms of how do you seed more triggers, I'm a big fan of, of the, the hook strategy. And so the hook strategy you can use in, in every kind of area, right? Being that in business development, in how you find the, the next person you want to do something with in life, whatever it is. And it's really about saying, what are three or four things I'm really interested in, right? So in my case, yay, I want to take the serendipity mindset into a lot of curricula and other things. And then having a couple of pieces like this and feeding that into every conversation interaction that we have so that other people can pick it up and say, oh my, such a coincidence, I didn't even know X was it. So to give an example, a wonderful entrepreneur in London, Oli Barrett, if you would ask him this dreaded question, what do you do, right? You wouldn't just say, well, I'm a technology entrepreneur. He would say something like, I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently started reading into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is, you know, playing the piano. And so now you have three potential hooks here where you could be like, oh my, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching on the philosophy of science. You should come in and give a guest lecture. Oh my, such a coincidence. I'm hosting piano matinees. You should come by. You get the gist. So the point really is we can see these different triggers for serendipity that then make it happen more often. And I'm sure we'll get deeper into how we can also react differently to situations. But really this fascination to say, once we see serendipity as skilled luck that we can influence, we can have all these different practices that help us to have more of it. You know, that, that lines up with other books that I'm so fascinated with, like, you know, some of the guys at IDEO and Human Centered Design and some of their works. But I think one of my very favorite, maybe my favorite innovation book of all time is uh, Stephen Johnson's Where Good Ideas Come From. Are you familiar with this one? And his idea of like, how can you go bump into a bunch of other ideas and maybe, maybe find the other half of your idea, right? And like, you know, the IDEO guys talk about like, they're they're doing product design typically sometimes service design but they're like you know can you you know go to the bookstore and go to the part of the magazine section that you would never normally be in and you know like for me like go look at like wedding magazines or something that me and you know people in commercial real estate finance are not normally <laughs> picking up per se right and like what 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 is over there what's something to bump into that you know, the group think of your category doesn't normally bump into, right? And it's actually one of the things behind this podcast was like, what, like, what are the commonalities between all sorts of different kinds of high achievers? But then also like, what kind of new ideas can I come across for people that I'm not going to bump into in my normal life because they're in New York, like you are wherever, and I'm not where I am not, 
And it's been a fun experiment for me, at least. What are some of the things that you do to increase serendipity? Yeah, well, it's a really interesting point, right? Because I'm a closet introvert. So I essentially try to figure out ways of how can I, without having to have every interaction in the world and go to so many events, how can I still have a lot of serendipity happen? And I see that actually in a lot of people who, you know, cultivate communities and other things that in a way we're, we're actually quite introverted. And so we try to figure out ways of, of, of making things happen. So I'm a big fan actually of these kind of small things, right? How do you take one different street to work in the morning and actually look into the different windows when you are on your way to work and to your point, get the next podcast idea from that book. And you're like, oh my, like we haven't talked since like hundreds of years about this and this question or you know, these kind of small things where we just open our eyes to it because serendipity a lot of times comes from these silent sources, right? It comes from watching a movie and connecting the dots and seeing something in there. Uh, and, and, and so a lot of what I'm trying to do is, is really saying, okay, every, everything I do when I'm outside or I, tr I try to open my eyes to it and I try to, in a way, say, how is there something in that moment that I can still do with it? And I found that also useful in conversations to always think about, okay, can I make one introduction? Is there one idea I can relate to this? And just getting into the modus of expecting the unexpected and, and, and then constantly getting into this. And to give you one experiment there, a colleague of mine did, which I found fascinating because it's so much about that kind of how do we look at the world that then predetermines how much serendipity we can, we can have in our life and, and luck more broadly. So in this one experiment, they took someone who self-identifies as very lucky to someone who says, good things tend to happen to me. I, I have a lot of luck happen. And someone who self-identifies as very unlucky. So someone who says, I'm always an accident, bad, always, bad things always happen to me. And they tell both people, walk down the street, go into the coffee shop, sit down, have a coffee, and then we'll have our interview for, for the research. Now, what they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras along the street and inside the coffee shop. There's a five-pound note, so money, in front of the coffee shop door. And inside the coffee shop, there's this one successful businessman who can make big ideas happen and that the, the only free seat is next to that businessman. And so now the lucky person, you know, walks down the street, sees the five pound note, picks it up, goes inside the shop, orders a coffee, sits next to the businessman. They have a conversation, exchange business cards, potential opportunity coming out of it. We don't know that part. The unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five pound note, so doesn't see it goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, ignores the businessman, that's that. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people, hey, how was your day today? And so, you know, the lucky person says, it was amazing. You know, I found money in the street, made a new friend, and, you know, potential opportunity coming out of it. The unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. And we all know those people in our lives, right, who face exactly the same situation, but one of them seems to be just a little bit luckier than the other. And so that's really where a lot of that comes from to say, what are these small things that we actually First of all, open our eyes to it and, and overcome our biases that are about thinking that we can map everything out, that we can know everything, and, and really working on these biases, but also then constantly trying to figure out how can I actually have that one conversation maybe here, or if I don't want to have that conversation, how can I find other ways to somehow instill some kind of serendipity in there? Yeah. Can you, can you think of a recent example from your life? Yeah, so my wife actually and my baby girl now. So essentially I was, you know, I had COVID early last year and I, you know, I almost died and it was the kind of Victor Frankl type, let me read and find meaning in this. And there wasn't a lot of meaning in that situation. But when I got out of it, I was like, okay, well, like I, I realized I put so much into, you know, my passion, which is somehow, you know, how do we develop impactful businesses and, and our minds so that, that we can have more impact. But I, I hadn't really thought about creating a family and, and really kind of, you know, like finding the person with whom I really want to do this. And so I was like, you know what, I want to be more conscious in this area as well. I want to really think more about like, what does it mean to, to, to build a family and create a family? 
And so I, you know, I, I sent an email unrelatedly to that kind of um, realization to a couple of friends in, in the summer. And, you know, one of my friends, she was like, yeah, well, maybe I'll join, maybe not. And and she was one of those friends I had like known for 10 years, but we had never really had, had you know, that much interaction. And then, you know, she, she was thinking, okay, whatever, I won't go probably. I posted something on Instagram a few days um, before that kind of like gathering that, that I wanted to do. She saw it. It was a beautiful quote. And she was like, oh my, this really hit me. I just got divorced. And, you know, like, like this is like beautifully capturing my mood at the moment. And so I was like, hey, great, like, this is great. Are you coming tomorrow? Like, you should join us. Like, you seem to be in a modus where you should just be out there and, and, and be with us. So she comes to the event, you know, we somehow say, let's go for dinner sometime the next week. And, you know, uh, a year later, we are married, we're expecting a baby. And, and <laughs> that kind of, it, it's that kind of a moment you know, where, thank you, thank you. And, and, and it's really like when you when you look at it from her perspective, like a lot of what she's been doing was constantly kind of connecting dots and, and, and in a way getting out of that. She was in a really, you know, tough situation after after um, that breakup, but then also, you know, seeing the opportunity in, in, in what could be next and, and a little bit on my side as well. So long story short, I think my favorite serendipity story is a lot about, you know, love and, and, and how we find love. And, and also, you know, how a lot of times love might have a very long incubation time, right? When we break up with someone, when I broke up with my partner, I would say, oh, my life might be over, like this This is heavy. And But actually, that's the only way to open ourselves up for, for new potential serendipity, right? So a lot of times serendipity coming out of crisis, essentially. Yeah. So uh, where did you grow up? In Germany. What, what kind of advantages do you feel like you've had in your career because of that, the way you grew advantages up? Advantages or, or disadvantages? Advantages. Joking. What kind of advantages? Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so it's interesting, right? Because I feel, I've, I've always found it interesting, the German way, I think, is, is, is it instilled us with very much this idea of, you know, planning and rigor and, you know, the kind of German efficiency and so on. I think that has definitely helped me a lot in my life in terms of being reliable around these kind of questions and and sticking to my deadlines and all these kind of different things. But on the other hand, like one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this serendipity mindset is to say, you know what, what we didn't get back in the days is that you can't just map your whole life out and that you can't be in school and think about what you want to do in the next 20 years of your life. It's just not how life works. And so I think what I found fascinating is to say, okay, what is it from this that is really helpful, which is, yes, like we want to have an approximate plan, but also then how does life really happen and how do we build a muscle for the unexpected and don't see that as a weakness. Don't see that as, oh, you weren't able to plan X for that, but actually to see that as a strength. And we'll probably talk about this, but a lot of my, my work is with, with senior executives. And what you see with a lot of senior executives is they're extremely good at setting a North Star or a sense of direction, but then also to say, you know what, as soon as unexpected new information comes in, like we have to build a culture that allows us to pick up on this and to innovate around this. And so I think that is in a similar way what I've been trying to do on an individual level to say, how can you try to have that plan, but also build the muscle for the unexpected? You know, that reminds me of some of the business people that I, I'm impressed with the way they live, kind of operational excellence, continuous improvement mindsets of like telling, telling people in their companies, like your job is to get better at your job and you also need to do these other things. <laughs> You know, like your main job is to get better at your job, which means you need to be open to opportunities. You need to be open to to things that you see and, and things you realize, right? Well, we usually like to cut these episodes in half. I think maybe before we end for part one, though, can you share one of your favorite stories from the book? One of my absolute favorites is the potato washing machine, actually, which is essentially, to me, it's an example of how do you develop a positive 
culture, being that in a company, in an organization, in a community, that allows you to actually have serendipity happen. And so in this case, there's this company in China that, that I've been working with that has, you know, they produce washing machines, refrigerators, and they had farmers call up one day and the farmers told them, well, we're trying, you know, like your washing machine is always breaking down. We're trying to use it, but it doesn't work. And so they asked them, well, why is your washing machine breaking down? Well, you know, we're trying to wash our potatoes and, and somehow it doesn't seem to, to work. And so what would we usually do, right? Our usual way, of course, would be to say, don't wash your potatoes in the washing machine. It's not made for this. That's not our plan. It's not in the marketing plan. They did the opposite. They said, you know what? That's unexpected. But there's a lot of farmers in China who might have a similar problem. So why don't we build in a dirt filter and make it a potato washing machine? And that's how unexpectedly the potato washing machine emerged as one of the key innovations. And so the point here really is, like I've always been fascinated by these kind of stories of serendipity that are about saying, how do we build a, a mechanism that allows us to pick up on these interesting new potential ideas? And to your earlier point, you know, bring them into organizations as well. So my question might be a little bit reverse for ones you usually get. In my experience, I think most people need to do a lot more of this, right? But then there's a few of us who like, we're, we're addicts for this. Like we love it. We're constantly pursuing it. You know, like I've, I've listened to hundreds of audiobooks. We've done 600 and something episodes of this show. I'm constantly trying to go to conferences and watch new programs and, and like, like I'm like an idea junkie, right? And then it can become a problem when I'm trying to build a business and it's like, ooh, I think I just had a better idea. And so like I'm constantly driving my business partners and my people nuts when I'm like, oh, I came up with an even better version. And like not sticking to one until it gets fur farther enough can be a problem too. So like I'm interested in any ideas for like a decision tree on like as I'm like, I guess for me, the serendipity that's like, I go to talk to people about this one thing. I go to talk to someone about becoming an investor and instead it turns into them becoming one of our employees or, you know, like that has worked for me over and over and over, but I can also introduce too much chaos into the system. So I'm interested in your decision tree of how to help people like me know which ones to execute on and how to, how to uh, not suffer too much from shiny object syndrome. That's a great question. And by the way, it's impressive. Yeah. How many episodes and, and, and you know, how many things you've, you've built around this because, you know, to your point, it's, it's finding the balance, right? Between the newness and then the, how do I actually get stuff done here and, and make something with it? I've always found it interesting to think about filters, right? Like what are the filters that allow us to be having serendipity at the right time and then, you know, focus on things. I mean, I recently had that with a book, right? To say, great, like in the early phases of the book, it's like a funnel, right? You're like, yay, give me all the ideas in the world. Let me talk with everyone. And then, hey, no, I have my idea now. Now I want to sit in the basement. I don't want, I don't want to meet anyone. I don't want to see anyone. I just need to execute now, right? And so that's like a lot of times, of course, with ideas, right? That's like the funnel where we go, go through it. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of two things. One is to really write, write down, being it in a serendipity journal or something else, what is, what is the North Star here? What is the sense of direction of, of what is it approximately that we want to do here? And, and, and is that in a way giving us a nice heuristic that allows us to say yes or no to particularly interesting things that emerge, right? And if it doesn't fit into that, great, let's put it on a parking lot. And so I'm a big fan of the parking lot system where you just say, here's a page where I write down all the great ideas. So I don't have to feel guilty that they're gone because I'm writing them down here, but maybe not at the moment. And then second, really, I'm a big fan of, of having a brain trust, like essentially both as an individual, but more importantly, also, you know, in a startup team or so, to have a couple of people informally with whom to bounce ideas off and say, okay, what do you think? This works, this doesn't work. And I, you know, Pixar has been doing this really well, right? Where 
if you are a Pixar, you know, one of the most creative companies in the world, you by definition have constantly new ideas and constantly cool stuff emerging, but you need some kind of filter. And in their case, a lot of times you have things like brain trust and so where it's literally saying, hey, okay, briefly bounce it off with a couple of people here. If they like it, okay. If not, let's put it on the parking lot and talk about it a couple of, of months again down the line, maybe something changed and, and so on. And so I'm a big fan of those two things. But to be honest, I haven't figured it out completely either. I'm, 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 I have a similar problem where, you know, there's so much serendipity and so much that could happen. And, and I'm almost addicted to this idea, like excitement that comes from having serendipity happen. But at the same time, the Germany is like, no, no, no. Like first let's get this done and then, then do the next thing. But that's my wrong. That's my problem. I was born in Canada. I needed to be born in Germany so I could have that bred into me to help manage it. No, at our company, it's my partner John. He, he's like, I, I tell him like my 50 million ideas, and then he tells me if I'm allowed to tell the rest of the team, <laughs> because, like, we started working together 20 years ago this month to begin with, and over the years, like, I've just given the team like at different businesses we've owned in our charity, we started together. So I like give the whole team whiplash. I'm like, no, this idea, no, this idea, you know, and can burn people out. So he's, he's my filter of like, okay, yeah, we can share that one. <laughs> so works out great for me. Well, I love your parking lot idea. I've, I've heard that for authors and it makes a lot of sense of like when you're writing a book, you're like, oh, I just had a better book come to mind. Oh, put it over here in the parking lot. But I hadn't thought about that for, for business ideas. Another thing, and it's interesting that you use the exact same terminology. I, it, it works for me instantly. As soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, that's, that's such a good idea. Like, I don't have to lose it, but I don't have to do it right now. And it's interesting, right? Because I've seen that in the context of startup teams. I mean, I learned that from Fabian Portmiller, who was one of my co-founders in, in one of our early startups. And he was really good at saying, hey, look, we are, we're a team. We were a team of five co-founders in that, in, in, during that period. And you can imagine when you have a half an hour meeting and everyone has new ideas, like that can very quickly get out of hand and, 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 and so on. And so the idea really was to say, hey, look, like let's do a shared wiki doc and like a, a shared parking lot where everyone can see the idea. And whenever someone has a really good area of application, great. But in this meeting now, we, we really can't talk about it. And what it also does is it gives a nice legitimization to say, hey, I really love what you're saying, but for a second, can we put it here on the parking lot? And so it doesn't feel like, oh, you're shutting down my idea. It's more like, no, let's just, you know, for the moment, focus on what we really want to talk about. And so to your point, I found it especially interesting in, in team dynamics, actually, because it gives a license to get people focused. And and was Sandbox the accelerator? Is that is that the business you're talking about? Exactly. That's yeah. Oh, very cool for young startups. That's great. Listen, let, I think it's a great place to part to end for part one. Everybody, please tune into part two. I've got a whole bunch more questions for Christian. Thanks, everyone.